for three years on AM radio, coast to coast, a live call-in back in the day. My brother Tom Gardner and I hosted the Motley Fool radio show Saturdays, three hours through the afternoon. Thanks to our celebrated producer, longtime fellow fool Mac Greer, celebrated... I mean, we at least celebrate the guy. We did dozens of interviews with bright lights from Jeff Bezos to the San Diego chicken. Our profile then rose higher when, with Mac, we transitioned the Motley Fool radio show from the world of AM radio to national public radio. For several years, we were an NPR show, and we began to bring in even more amazing guests. Well, that was then. This is now. We eventually transitioned our on-air presence from radio to podcasts, which we've loved bringing you for 10 years and counting. But what should never be forgotten? The interviews we did with celebrities major and mostly minor from back in the day. It is a deep vault of audio gold. And in this third episode of the recurring series Blast from the Radio Past, we go back in time to listen in once again to the wisdom of Netflix CEO Reed Hastings as a younger man, say, or to Dr. Ruth. Listen in. And eh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 style a little bit as we listen again and opine. So, a special treat for you this week. The gang's back together. My brother Tom Gardner, our producer Matt Greer, and me, and you only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks to Health IQ for supporting the Rule Breaker Investing podcast. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com/fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. And thanks to LinkedIn for supporting the Rule Breaker Investing podcast. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills that you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com/fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing, a very special episode of this podcast. In fact, I know I told you last week that we were probably going to go with Great Quotes Volume 11 Community Edition, and you've sent in some great quotes, and I do look forward to featuring those on an upcoming podcast. But I had this prospect, this possibility, to get the gang back together again for Blast from the Radio Past. This is Episode 3, and Matt Greer said, Yes, David, I have time to put in to dig back into the deep vault of audio gold. And Mac, Hmm. you did it. I did it, David. We went deep here. Now, originally, we had talked about a Valentine's Day theme. We did. We did. And it's kind of morphed into what I will call things that people have said on the show. (laughs) So that's that's kind of the working theme. (laughs) And of course, you're hearing my brother, our CEO here at The Motley Fool, Tom Gardner. You know him. You love him. I'm so happy, Tom, to have you join this, this I can't believe it wasn't. We last did this July of 2018, so mm. somehow I was remiss to miss 2019. Mm. But this is a great way, still early in the year, to kick off 2020. When you say the gang's back together, are you referring to since the last time we did this, or are we going all the way back? The gang, the ladder, back together from the like ladder. live AM radio. That's it. What what were the years of live AM radio? 98 to 2001. So we're 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 going back, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Plus. 
And and so when we say the gang's back together, Mac, how would you compare and contrast the gang coming back together to the Beatles reunion? Beatlemania. Um, um, you know, I Working. missed I missed most of the Beatles. I, I you know was a big Wings Wings fan when I was young. <laughs> Um, but my understanding is that our reunion is much bigger, but I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't know, but I could be wrong. Could I will mistaken. mention. And so Mac, you've got something like, I'm going to say at least eight clips queued up for us to yeah. cover. Yeah. Nine clips. Uh, Mystery mm-hmm. science theater, 3000 ish. We yeah. might even do something more like that in a future blast from the radio past. But I want to mention at the end of last time, we may have left our audience a little bit on the horns of a dilemma because mm-hmm. we were debating whether anyone owned MacGreer.com at the time. Mm. And we were saying none of us would go purchase it in respect of Mac, but if one of our listeners wanted to go purchase MacGreer.com, and was that ever resolved? A year and a half later, what is the status of MacGreer.com? You know, sadly, I have not followed up on that, but I I don't think there's been tremendous interest in MacGreer.com. But, you know, I could be wrong. All right. Congratulations. Register.com tells me, your domain, MacGreer.com, is available, exclamation Amazing. Oh, nice. For the base so rate, unclaimed. which has got to hurt a little bit. <laughs> if it's free. It's like the base rate. It's, it is the same value as ZZX47938XYL.com. Yeah. Well, whoever, whoever buys it is overpaying, and I don't even know how much okay. it is. I challenge listeners today. Someone, please, buy MacGreer.com and do whatever you want to with the site. All right, so we're trying to close a loop that we left open two summers ago, mm-hmm. and we'll see if that happens. But more to the I'm point I'm missing now, the Great Quote Show now. I really wish we were doing the... Great Quotes. <laughs> <laughs> blast the radio pass. Mac, let's cue it up. You've got our first clip. What do you have for us? Okay, our first clip is from Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos. Now, we interviewed him um, several times between 98 um, and 2002. And this exchange is from January of 2002. Now, as you may remember... The dot-com crash has happened, but there's still plenty of skepticism about Amazon and about dot-com companies. So let's roll this exchange with Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos from January 2002. Over the course of the last three years, in particular, a roller coaster ride for so many businesses. Jeff Bezos, did you ever imagine doing anything different? No, I am a change junkie. I love what we're doing. This is incredible fun. Uh, we are, uh, you know, during the year 2000, when everybody thought they were, you know, they were as extreme in the year 2000 on the downside as, as they were on the upside in 99. Everybody thought the internet was dead. Uh, I guarantee you that's not the case. I guarantee you this is still the very, very beginning. Uh, it may not be Kitty Hawk anymore. But nobody's even thought of the DC-9, much less the jet engine. And there is a lot of innovation that's going to happen. This is just an incredibly fun place to be. Tom, what do you think? Was he right? I guess that any prediction that Jeff Bezos makes, we should, we should take very seriously. Because there we are, 17 years ago, 18 years ago. And um, he has predicted it perfectly. Yeah, so... Social media showed up in the meantime. Like that was still pre-social media. What what year did people start using Facebook in earnest, Mac Greer? I love that you're asking me that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on Facebook. T- Tom is. I'm on MacGreer.com right now. <laughs> uh, Facebook? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. Maybe 2005. I mean, it was a few it years before that even started. One of the largest companies in the world today. It's incredible to think about. There have been a few times where, um, in talking to a CEO of a company, 
in an interview format like this, we've gone out of our way to ask them to recommend a stock. And I'd say next time we have Jeff on one of our podcasts, Let's we go. should ask him to recommend some companies that he really admires that are up and coming. And obviously, as Blue Origin, which he's putting a lot of resources behind and a lot his of his outer focus. space company. Yep. So you've got a true visionary with one of the biggest transformations in human history making the right call. Mm. It's a pretty, pretty good place to be. You know, a lot of people say we're still in the first inning of the internet. In the, in the long game, the long form, a lot of people say, hey, we haven't even entered the second inning. The internet's still so young and so early. I don't know where you guys are on that, but it's amazing to think about. Uh, that was 18 years ago that he said that. And the market was in tatters, and Amazon had lost more than two-thirds of its value at that point. And it wasn't just Amazon, it was the internet that was being counted for dead in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And David, I remember when I first met y'all in 97, and I was producing a television show, it was Halloween night, and you were talking about Amazon back then, and and I, I joke about thinking at the time, why would I need Amazon when I have a perfectly good books a million down the street? But you were so enthusiastic about Amazon. So, playing so you that bought forward, the stock, Mac, and you held all the way through. I did buy the stock eventually, mm. but- it was, all it, was, it was not in 2002. Understood. It was 10 years or so later. Is Amazon not your, bad. your greatest investment ever? Um, I would say it's been the best pick Besides for, our members, for our members. Besides your family. Nice. I have nice. kids. I, I, the kids. Pretty, pretty yeah, sure, kids. Tom, inside baseball here, you would know this, but I think The Motley Fool has been probably our best investment ever, uh, considering our cost basis and where yeah, we are today. I think it would be But I mean, happy. Amazon, definitely the best public pick that I've made. Best public investment you've yeah. ever made. Okay, for someone listening right now who cannot go back to 2000. What's the next? Yes, not maybe not the next <laughs> Amazon, but is there a company right now that each of you have that same level of enthusiasm about? Okay, well, I'll take my shot since awesome, David's Tom. going to be the one you really want to listen yeah, right. to. Oh, well, track record. So, recently recommended in our service IPO Trailblazers at the Motley Fool. Um, Virgin Galactic holdings. Do I think it's going to be a 600 bagger like Amazon? No. No, no, no. But it's it's a couple billion dollar market cap. Do I think it could be a 10 bagger as they have a long wait list of people who want to go up into space on the Richard Branson founded company that was a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company that went public and acquired Virgin Galactic and is now running as a public company, ticker symbol SPCE space. Nice. And I think it could be a 10 bagger. I think it's I think it's worthy to have as a small position in your portfolio. It's already doubled for us in IPO Trailblazers in a couple months. So we know that the David Gardner methodology tells us that when things like that happen, that's a positive indicator, not a not a not a concerning indicator. It should cause us to become interested and then decide if we really like the long term prospects. And I think that's a fun one. Fun one to have in your portfolio. That's great, Tom. And yeah, and and um off the air we were talking about this earlier, Tom's pointing out that, you know, if you want to have a six hundred bagger Imagine a company worth, let's say, about a trillion dollars um, 25 to 30 years from today. That means it's closer to a billion dollars in a market cap today. So you really are looking at, at quite small companies. And, and so it's, it, it would be treacherous to think that any company that's small I believe could navigate that's to be the next great one. I learned to believe one. in you. But all I would say is a couple of companies that are already in the process well, of it. So you're not getting it right. But how about, again, it doesn't have as big a vision. But Etsy, I really like Etsy because it's kind of very Amazon-like, but it's differentiated from Amazon. It has a global possibility. It's a six billion dollar company today. Very it's also conscious been, company. It's also been a big winner, and yeah. so congratulations. Uh, it's it's not as big a vision as Amazon, but you know I'm just thinking about like multi bags and what, what we all like as investors. And then a little bit bigger, twenty five billion dollar market cap today, but a bigger idea is Match Group. 
just Tinder, you know, meeting people online. That's a really big industry. It's still early days. And Match Group, the clear worldwide leader, Without is just $25 like that, billion. I don't know that we're going to meet people in the future, anyone. <laughs> There's just too much convenience. It's true, Wally. When's the last time that the Greer family Wally. decided to go out? <laughs> to go out? When's the last time the Greers went out? Define out. Like out of the house? Or date like, night. Um, date night. Um, it's, you know, it's been uh, last weekend, actually. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Nice. So that's good. We should probably like go to the second of our okay. nine clips. Okay. Well, speaking of not going out, this second clip is um, from Netflix CEO Reed Hastings. Now we've interviewed Reed a number of times. Now he's Netflix, done pretty well. He's done okay. Stock's done okay too. Now Netflix went public in 2002, and we first interviewed Reed Hastings in January of 2003. And what about the development of new technologies that are allowing people to download movies at home? I mean, obviously, that has to be a big question. Is that something you see growing more popular? It is. Our core um, investment uh, philosophy is not to be the pioneer, that there's too many arrows in the back for that, um, that there are some companies doing really interesting work on downloading to the home. Uh, we're content to watch that uh, build a very profitable business. Um, and at a point in the future, you know, perhaps five years, perhaps eight years from now, uh, start to really get in that. In a, in a significant way. Hmm. You know, one thing before you talk about Reed is just listening to myself. I feel like my voice was a little different then, and in particular in that clip, I feel like I was almost slurring well, a little yeah, bit. Do I slur? If you want me to give my honest assessment of that, I would start by saying your voice doesn't age. It's amazing. You don't age, Dave, vocally. Hmm. You don't age. I definitely look in different. audio. I less you don't hair, age in audio, but I feel like I have aged some. Or I was, I was, I was, I was really tired back then. Tom. That was I'm another thing. There was so much stuff going on every time we did a radio show. Right. We, we were tired going in. Right. I, I had three kids that were like three, five, and nine or something yeah, back then, the and and I was just, it was exhausting. I, yeah. I feel almost bad the way I spoke to Reed it's kind at the of time. A, yeah, this is a tough reunion. We're realizing <laughs> what we went through. Um, so, interestingly. Then fast forward and see what Netflix did to make that transition into streaming video and the confusion around Quickster. Yep. That even though a leader who's developed one of the great companies in American history is as they move into an inflection point, there's still a lot of chaos around how it should all unfold. There he is years in advance saying it. But when they went to it, I remember that, you know video of them sitting on a picnic bench saying like, well, we're oh, going to yeah. split them in two. And yeah. it, it looks so unrehearsed and unprepared and unprofessional that it caused a lot of confusion. And I, I wanted to sell Netflix out of my stock advisor recommendation and my team stopped me from doing so. Actually, the stock fell like 50% after I wanted to sell it. And so that's for, when I should have bought it. For about two months, I was looking at them like, you, you. And then, you know, it goes on to, and David has this multiple times in Stock Advisor. But again, this amazing company had multiple times where the stock went down more than 50% and times where it looked very confusing in the moment. And I hearken back to Jack Dorsey's great line from Square, which is, if you want to be an innovator, you've got to be willing to look like an idiot in public. And that's hard. That's hard to do. You're going to go out strategically, and and so that happened to Reed Hastings, and look at all the value he created, and there we were, and David asking him um, presciently, what do you think about where the world's going? Well, it's interesting to think back to that Quickster time, Tom. I remember watching that video as well, the guys poolside describing how you were going to have two different cues. It wouldn't know your preferences from one to the other. It was definitely not customer-centric, which is obviously a big focus, not just of Netflix, but of Amazon, trying to be the most customer-centric company in the world. Max, so you're rocking some real customer centricity with these companies. But yeah, 
Netflix from 2010, start or so, to that midpoint just before Quickster 2011 was a six-bagger, and it dropped all the way back below zero. You mm-hmm. lost your full six-bagger in just a few months. But it is a reminder. How many times is it up for you now? Well, I, it's 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 like a it's like a two hundred bagger. Hmm. It's been incredible. But it, it's a reminder. Ten thousand invested, you, two million. You today. have to be willing to just sit there and take that. And I, do you remember, guys, that even at the worst moment for Quickster, like some months after Quickster, all the bad press, they did lose some subscribers. But it was like I'm making this up. It was like from twenty four and a half million, they were down to twenty three and a half million. Like they lost one. It's a bad looking trend for the moment. Yeah, but. and it hurts when you're growing as much as they were, and all of a sudden you're losing. But it's not like you lost half of your customers anything like that. It was a a small percentage of people who canceled their Netflix. I, there's there uh, yeah. there there is a pattern here for us to figure out at some point even more deeply. And that is the pattern that surrounds companies like Tesla, which create a lot of confusion. But confusion is some of the element of a potential hundred bagger, hmm. right? Yeah. It's it's it, without that confusion and misunderstanding, and also the willingness of leaders to do things that are unpredictable. Even Bezos going out with the Fire Phone and it failing. Like if you don't have a high level of confusion in a prominent way, you may not have a future hundred bagger. Okay. Well, that. That is a great segue. Confusion and unpredictability. For it's this. almost like Tom knew it was coming, but he doesn't. We don't know what's coming. You didn't share this ahead of time. I did. Well, actually, by I, design, I have access to Max email. As our CEO, you read Max <laughs> email. Actually, as a board member, I've got as nothing. A board I've got member. nothing as to hide. Member. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> <laughs> so, so <laughs> I chose this next exchange because of what Hastings said. Really, kind of the point he made about not needing to be the pioneer. Um, and not needing to be the first mover, because there was some other activity going on in the world of streaming. So for that, we're going to take you back to a conversation we had on our AM show back Mm. in 2001. Mm. And there was a little company in my home city of Houston named Enron. Mm. And the CEO, Jeff Skilling, was talking about one of their new initiatives. Now, in another departure from the world of energy trading, Jeff, Enron will be teaming up with Blockbuster Video this year to offer online video on demand. Talk a little bit about that venture and and why Enron chose to get involved. Okay. Uh, I mentioned that we're in the process of creating markets for bandwidth. Uh, video is, is the is they call it a bandwidth hog oh, application. Yeah. It, 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 it uh, chews up enormous amounts of bandwidth. And so once we've started to create this market for bandwidth, we have bandwidth available on demand for our customers. This is a perfect fit with the needs of someone like Blockbuster that's trying to create a video-on-demand product. Uh, so, for example, you're sitting at home Friday evening. Uh, you, you decide you'd like to watch a movie. You don't want to drive out to the Blockbuster store and pick up a videotape. You're tired. You just want to sit in front of the television. So you turn on the television, go to the screen, which will be a block, Blockbuster screen, where we're providing the bandwidth to get it to your house. You choose the movie that you want to see. Mm-hmm. When you choose that movie, we will automatically provision the the necessary bandwidth to get that movie to your house real time. And so we'll create the bandwidth to make that happen. You'll watch the movie. When you're done watching the movie, that bandwidth will go away. So you're just paying for what you use, and we're making sure that that bandwidth is available in the quantity you need to get a great picture. When am I going to be able to do that? Well, we've got right now, uh, we're rolling it out in four cities uh, in a test phase. And that's uh, uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, Salt Lake City, uh, New York City, and um, Seattle. And that partnership ended a few months later. That was in January of 2001, that interview. 
and by December of 2001, actually in December, Enron filed for bankruptcy. That is incredible. I completely forgot that conversation. I didn't remember that part of their story. Streaming ahead of streaming, Tom, in some ways incredibly far-sighted. It sounded so good. I own some shares of Enron in one of my child's accounts. So that that went down to zero, unfortunately. Sorry, unnamed child. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was the CEO of Enron, and uh, 2006 he was convicted of federal felony charges. I was checking. He he came. He was released from custody a year ago this month. So I don't know if you guys knew that or remembered that. But Skilling. Jeff Skilling is now back out, back out. But um, what an incredible clip, Mac, to think back about streaming before it was cool, and it was all brought to you. Powered by Enron. And I thought the question, the, the, the phrase I'm going to kind of key in on is, in your question, you said, in another departure. So my question for both of you as investors is, how much leeway do you give your companies to kind of depart or stray from their core business? If Apple, for instance, if Apple said, we're going to open a nationwide chain of burger restaurants, how would you feel about that? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is that... Um, <laughs> Executives can sound very convincing. I think if you stripped the names of the company out and just had that be a company we couldn't even remember that we had talked to and said, does that sound right and plausible? At the, at the time, I think it did. And looking back, I would say it's pretty insightful for where the world's going. So that, that's kind of number one is a lot of businesses can put up a very convincing story. And yep. that's always going to be true. Number two, you're not always going to be able to suss them out. Look at David's overall unbelievable investment returns, and he had some shares in one of his kids' account. That's We're always going to have some losers, and that's why my next point is I think diversification is so important, because we'll never... And then the last one, to answer your question, Mac, I would never have wanted to limit Amazon in their departures from books. Think how much value would have been you know, kept off the table if they never went to Amazon Web Services. Who could have imagined that they would create AWS in their early years? And now look at the growth rates and size and impact of that business. It's a massive part of Amazon's overall value as a company. So I, I want my companies to feel free to depart. And I want my executives to be thinking about the future. And I better diversify because some of them are going to either prove be proven wrong or even fraudulent. Yeah. So I, I, I love that. I, I'm not going to supplement that at all. But I know that you both have interest in another Houston institution. Yeah. I Discerning think I'm, listeners I'm to hear what you will to recognize too. that we are thinking about the Houston Astros. We are. And I'm, what's happened in baseball over the last six months or so, especially mm -hmm. the last one month or so. Um, Mac, under the assumption that not everybody listening what even jersey? cares or knows about baseball, could mm -hmm. you briefly summarize mm -hmm. 30 seconds or so? what's happened since the World Series, and then we should talk a little bit about And that. why it matters to you. Um, the Astros have been implicated in a cheating scandal by an MLB investigation. They were using video, and they were using it during the game in real time to get an advantage. Um, MLB said they were using it 2017 and half of 2018. Um, and so this is systemic. Major League Baseball systemic. saying you've been doing this a long time. And that's an important time period because they won the World Series in 2017. And one of my favorite players, Jose Altuve, was the MVP in 2017. And it appears from the investigation that the players had an advantage when they were when they were hitting. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't know which players did what, um, but we do know that 2017, 2018, and of course, it leaves the door open now. And I think they lose the benefit of the doubt for this past year as well, just because it's hard to say, you know, it's just, it's just hard to say, right. did they actually 
stop cheating. Mm. It appears, Mac, that the players were basically tipped off to what type of a pitch the pitcher is about to throw. So Altuve and his ilk kind of know, oh, it's going to be a curveball. Oh, no, it's going to be a fastball. That's the advantage that they allegedly were receiving systemically. Part of that tip-off was happening through a system where a camera in center field was filming the catcher's signals, and that was being relayed to the player's Back in the locker room, seconds between the signal being given and the pitcher throwing the pitch, you would hear a banging on the trash can. And, right, maybe most or all of our listeners know that, but maybe you don't know that people, the beauty of crowdsourcing on the Internet, people have gone back and run the stats on all the banging across all the pitches. Wow. To determine what percentage of all pitches drew bangs. And then, of course, you realize that those bangs were often for off-speed curveballs. That means if you didn't get a bang, it was a fastball. So the estimation is that in certain games in like the second half of the 2017 season, the Astros were essentially getting every pitch or, or the vast majority of pitches were being signaled. Now, they also went back because people are passionate. And don't we love this? This is a little bit how we crowdsource investment research in The Motley Fool. They also went back and ran the numbers on which players drew the most bang signals for their pitches. Hmm. And so they don't know why somebody would get well more than somebody else. But all I'll say is that of all the players, it appears that Altuve got the fewest. Hmm. He only got like, I'm making the number, I can't remember, it's like sure. 3%. Whereas Springer appeared to get tens of percentage points of of mm. signals. These are both Houston institutions. They were both implicated in cheating and Ron and the Astros. Both involved like video streaming. These both involved video streaming mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you're one associated of them, with both of them. One of them was thrown into jail and became an American disgrace. The other, it's really up in the air how this is going to be handled. Any any closing thoughts before we Rush to the next clip. This reminds me of that, like, Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln, and Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy. Mm. Remember all those eerie parallels? I didn't know that. We're living in awesome. a simulation. <laughs> this is just a video game. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very disappointing, and, um, you know, I won't speak for Enron, but the Astros, if you don't follow baseball, the Astros already had one of the best teams. So the, the kind of eternal question is, why does a good team already feel the need to take that risk, you know, to get – a bit of an advantage more and it's and it's disappointing it's it's very very disappointing do you average eight hours of sleep a night check do you eat a quality plant-based diet check exercise four or more times per week check basically sounds like you're doing everything right to ensure you live a long life isn't it time you'd be financially rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle well if you're a runner or a cyclist or you're into CrossFit, or another type of athlete, even a committed weekend warrior. If you're a vegetarian or vegan, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Introducing Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you. Life insurance is a great resource to have for so many families. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Now, depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. That's healthiq.com slash fool. Now, a bit earlier, we talked about Amazon. So I think it's only appropriate that we talk some eBay because David and Tom, I remember back in the day, we'd have these debates 
Mm. Amazon versus eBay. Mm. I was a very, very happy eBay shareholder. And I'm like, why would I ever buy Amazon? Well, back in 2003, we had then eBay CEO Meg Whitman on our show. And Tom asked her about eBay's success. Meg, I want to take a look back here over the past couple of years. eBay, eToy, I bid, you bid. Why is it that eBay has succeeded where the others haven't? What one or two things do you think the management at some of the other internet companies didn't get a couple of years ago? Well, I think number one was an understanding of whether these businesses actually could make money. You know, was there really a business model associated with these um, different entrepreneurial ideas? And from the beginning, there was a business model associated with eBay. You know, long gross margins, profitable actually since February of 1996. Um, so the financial characteristics of this business um, were very real and and very profitable. Secondly, I think we, eBay, and, and Pierre Omidyar, the founder, deserves a lot of credit for this. He created a company that could not have existed without the internet. That eBay, as we know it today, could not exist without this revolutionary new medium. And many other businesses were simply taking what you could do offline and taking it online. And this, I think, was a revolutionary new concept that was uniquely suited to the web and, in fact, has no land-based analog. It's, it's an interesting world that we live in, that if you get the major trend right, there are actually a number of winners. It's also something I've learned from David. Like, don't feel that it's necessarily one versus the other. So probably one of the mistakes that I made in this category was to think it was in some way one versus the other. They both ended up winning big. eBay has, has been a wonderful investment. Nothing on the order of the success at Amazon, and we can talk about why that is. But it, it's still been a, a great stock from its IPO. I mean, it's it's... 15, 20% annualized returns since coming public all the way through for 20 years. So that's amazing. But it's a much smaller company at a $29 billion market cap than Amazon has become. And maybe we should ask David why that is. Well, I really haven't thought about them as kind of paired companies for a long time, Tom. And I think that's because probably Amazon started to take off somewhere past that Bezos interview we heard earlier, but became so convenient. Right, and and that's something you've always emphasized, and something we're always trying to get better at. The fool, but we love it in companies, stocks that we pick. The company that provides real convenience, and think about one click and not having to wait for the end of an, an auction, auction, for example. I mean, again, both of these are great businesses, and I love what you said earlier because finding multiple winners in fertile fields is is a big motley fool hmm. thing that we do. I also just want to briefly think about Meg Whitman because what an interesting career she's had. She went on from eBay, she went on to become CEO of Hewlett Packard. Uh, she ran for governor of California unsuccessfully in 2016. Do you know what she's doing today? She's the CEO of Blank. Do you guys know? Oh, it's that they advertised video. a lot at the Super it's Bowl. It's the short video company. Quibi. Quibi, yeah. I didn't know that. Q-U-I-B-I. Did you see their Super Bowl awesome. ads? awesome. This is like, as a sports fan, <laughs> when you see like your, your, the player you loved through all those years is actually playing you know, baseball in Japan right now. And so Quibi is a, probably a pretty small company relative to eBay and Hewlett Packard. Yep, but backed by Jeffrey Katzenberg and led by Meg Whitman and short-form mobile video platform. And Tom, I, you, nobody loves YouTube that I know more than Tom I Lerner. love inside of YouTube. So it'd be interesting to see like if Quibi has a leg to stand on within mm. that industry. But um, anyway, so I also love just following the people. I know mm. we all do. Um, the human interest around this, that's part of what you're doing, Mac, is you're just finding really interesting people. But to think about the transitions that Meg Whitman has made versus mm. Mm. Jeff Bezos, uh, kind of 
Steady Eddie still doing the same thing, kind of like Tom and me, 20-plus years later. But it's still really impressive to me who Meg Whitman is. Mm. And, you know, eBay, which, by the way, spawned PayPal, which has been an amazing company. And when you combine those market caps, it starts looking closer, but still not near Amazon. I will will make an observation as an investor between eBay and Amazon, because I was on the other side of that through those years, feeling that eBay was the better of the two investment opportunities. And... I would observe that what Meg was highlighting in that interview is, well, you need to be able to prove that you can generate cash from your business. You need to be profitable. And while that is true, I think we're learning that that is more eventually true, particularly if you are a business with an enormous market opportunity around which you could create tremendous daily convenience for people. So a smaller market opportunity for eBay that's more cash flow positive early on looks better and starts to get the the accolades and credibility on Wall Street of analysts because they've done it again quarter after quarter, whereas the one that looks silly and absurd but is actually creating the habit and avidly reinvesting their cash flow to grow their market opportunity is Amazon, and we should remind ourselves of that when we invest. Tom, that's really well put. As we transition to the next one, I will mention, guys, that Quibi hasn't launched yet. If Wikipedia has it right, it launches on April 6th, as we record today on Tuesday, my February birth, 11th. That's, my birthday. That's my 54 birthday. days' time. I have an idea. Your birthday, Mac, I have an idea. Quibi launches. Okay, I have an idea. Sorry. But I see Mac on his birthday on a Quibi video. Wow. I also see that video. What the Astros should do at MacGreer.com. Short form. I see Quibi video about the Astros on MacGreer.com on your birthday. I thought you were going to say, I see MacGreer doing the hustle. Next clip. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. Our next exchange, we are just coming off the Academy Awards. And when I think movies, and I think when y'all think movies, a lot of us think about the, I think he's the greatest film critic of all time, the late mm, Roger Ebert. The late, great Roger Ebert. And of course, in real life, we're also just coming off the Academy Awards right now. So how many years ago exactly was this interview? This is from March of 2002. Mm. And um, we talked to Roger Ebert about two of our favorite subjects, movies and money. Because we're a business and money show, is there yes. a single movie or one or two movies that stand out in your mind as being extraordinary films about business or money that our listeners show? Well, you know, I think the funniest line of dialogue uh, that David Mamet has ever written was about money. And it came in his movie of 2001 called Heist, The Heist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny DeVito was trying to convince Gene Hackman to pull one more job. And Gene Hackman says he doesn't want to do it. He'd rather go sailing. And Danny DeVito says, you got to do it. And Hackman says, why do I have to do it? And DeVito says, for the money. And Hackman says, I don't like money. And then DeVito comes up with this classic mammoth line, which ought to be the motto of the Motley Fool. Everybody likes money. That's why they call it money. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the great thing about audio, Roger, is that we can just clip that now, and you have delivered our motto for this show each week. And that is amazing because, of course, every episode of Motley Fool Money, our weekly podcast slash radio show, starts with that quote. And, Mac, I didn't realize, is that where you pulled it from? Roger Ebert's advice? That's where I got the idea. Now, the interesting thing is— That is incredible. He actually got the quote wrong. The quote (laughs) is, everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. But you get the idea. Is that audio clip actually 
the audio clip at the beginning of the show? It could be um, from the heist. We use the we use the Danny. We use the real version. thing, but Tom suggested maybe occasionally we surprise I like our listeners idea. with permanent with the Ebert line with a permanent Ebert. So keeping it on the lighter side a bit, um, another one of our favorite guests is basketball great Charles Barkley. Aww. And you know we're not just about financial advice; we're about self improvement and. Um, for lack of a better word, maybe beauty tips. So back in 2002, <laughs> we talked with Charles Barkley. Uh, next one up, Charles. My brother has been contemplating them. I want I want a buy, sell, hold from you on, on hair plugs for men. Oh, you know what? There's nothing worse than a bad dude. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. I haven't really seriously been considering hair plugs, but how about I'm about 5'8". I'm a scrawny guy. Should I shave? The rest of my hair. Should I go Barkley? Yeah, because Char- Charles, hey, Charles hey, throughout you know, your career. You know, you know what I call it? You should come on home. <laughs> uh, every time I see a guy, with, with like when he's close and trying to fight it, <laughs> just come on home. Oh, my gosh. This is incredible. I think we could structure a debate between Charles Barkley and Larry David, because I know Larry David thinks that shaving your head is hiding the fact that you're bald. Mm, no, I totally agree. It's like a violation for Larry, but it's actually <laughs> the it's a religion for Charles. No, you got to come on home. Tom, I think he's were you inspired? Right. Were you inspired by that? Do you remember him saying that to you? And did that matter to you or not? I think I think it was life changing advice. for That's me. That's amazing. So Roger Ebert yeah. basically gave us the start to Motley Fool Money. And Charles Barkley gave Tom his handsome look. I mean, I love our parents. They did an amazing job. But I would say most of the changes in my life have come from radio show guests at the Motley Pool. <laughs> I like that. We should have Charles back sometime. Just, Don't you I love mean, Charles? I, I really so enjoy his I Don't watch the NBA commentary. Can we just remember, what an, um, among other things, what a great rebounder Charles Barkley was? So good. And why would he not be chairman of the board of the Motley Fool? Wow. Nice. Chairman wow. of the board. Wow. Strong. It's always an open position. Tom and I can step down at any time as co-chairman. I'm not sure we even really make much use of that. I think Charles would crush it for us. If anyone listening has a way to get in touch with Charles, we're ready to have this conversation. Hiring the right people is one of the best ways to help grow your business, but it shouldn't take time away from your other priorities. Well, with LinkedIn Jobs, it doesn't have to. Members of our recruiting team here at The Motley Fool have commented that at our company, we've used LinkedIn job posts to strategically engage highly qualified candidates through our partnership with LinkedIn, which has existed for years. We've been able to build out a more thoughtful and efficient hiring process. Our Life at The Motley Fool page has also enabled us to tell our story and share our company culture. Now, that's a direct quote from our People and Culture Department here at Full HQ. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn and why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. Now, you can get the first $50 off. Terms and conditions apply here, but just visit linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Guys, we're going to keep it in the world of self-improvement, and Hmm. we are going to listen to an interview we did with Mr. Rogers back in 2002. 
Now, earlier in the show, we played the clip from Enron CEO Jeff Skilling. Well, in 2002, um, we talked to Mr. Rogers about a number of things. And one of the areas we explored is corporate corruption and what had been playing out in the business world. And Tom asked him about that. Let's talk a little bit more about justice just briefly. Some of our listeners may not know that you're also an ordained Presbyterian minister. And as someone who's spent your life talking about values, living those values, what's your take on some of the scandals that have played out in corporate America over the last few years, speaking about not taking care of the people that we work with in many cases? Exactly. Well, what do you think it is that drives people to want far more than they could ever use or need? I frankly think it's insecurity. How do we let the world know that the trappings of this life are not the things that are ultimately important for being accepted? That's what I've tried to do all through the years with the neighborhood. You know, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your fancy toys. They're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you. That is good stuff. Wow. You know, I, of course, Mr. Rogers has only gotten more popular since his sad departure from our lives, although not at all, because Tom Hanks is now Mr. Rogers, and Mr. Rogers in a remarkable documentary is Mr. Rogers, but that It's You I Like. I remember him saying that to a little boy who was sitting in a wheelchair. Uh, that that That's a poem, of course. He, he could trot that out anytime he needed to, and he did it many times. I'm delighted that he did it on the Motley Fool radio show. I think the Mr. Rogers interview may have been my favorite interview of all the ones we've ever done. I watched him as a kid. And it was just so great to hear Mr. Rogers and to really realize that what you see is who he is. Mm. There are a lot of fans of that interview. In fact, we've run it before on this podcast. It's a full audio extra. So if you just search and you want to hear Tom and me fully interact with Fred Rogers back in the day, you can. I will mention before going to our last two clips, Mac, that um, it was always kind of fun to talk to the guests off the air, maybe just before they were coming on, because you could really kind of see who is authentically themselves, or at least in common conversation, still seem to be the person that we thought they were. I was really grateful, for example, Dave Barry, the very talented comic writer, longtime Miami Herald columnist, such a good guy off the air. He did a couple audio extras just for friends who were Dave Barry fans. Who violated that principle for you? Who, if anybody came to mind, I wouldn't say it right now, Tom, because okay, that's, that's the kind of guy I'm I am. Just but what about your you? Eyes to try and remember, <laughs> trying to remember. Actually, one of the things I've been thinking about during this whole program and reviews of all these. I asked myself, and maybe only the two of us can answer, uh, Dave, I asked myself whether Mac was compensated fairly for the incredible mm. variety of bookings mm. he was able to pull off. And I answer it this way, Mac, it's not the things you have. <laughs> it's not the money you've made. It's, it's you it's I like. It's not the way you did your it's, hair back it's then. It's you I like, Mac. It's okay. 
you may not have been compensated fairly, but it's you I like. But I think, don't you think Mr. Rogers got paid well, though? I, 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 I think Mr. Rogers <laughs> I probably think did quite well. I think attention from I think Mac did so many great himself, bookings. There's got to be a stipend for him to get Charles Barkley, Mr. Rogers, <laughs> Jeff Skilling, he wasn't Reed on Hastings, any kind Jeff of Bezos. bonus plan. I, I wasn't. That was not okay. right. No. Not right. I do it for the love. I do it for the love. Who would be the one person Mac could book that would cause you to say, that's unbelievable, right now for the world that we're in today? What is a classic Mac Greer booking? Queen Elizabeth. That would be amazing. That's interesting. Amazing. I, th- I thought you were going to say Linda Lavin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> More in your league. I should say our league. <laughs> Okay, so um, as we wrap up here, this this seems of one piece with the Mister Rogers exchange, and so I thought it was a good time to um, to reflect back on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loretta Lynn, country music superstar, this superstar, is my favorite interview, superstar, mm-hmm. and just such a wonderful interview. We um, talked with her back in two thousand two. If you don't know about her. She was born in poverty. There's a great movie about her life story called Coal Miner's Daughter because she was, in fact, a coal miner's daughter. And Tom asked her about happiness and what life is really all about. Doesn't money buy happiness, Loretta? No, it doesn't. I think if you got a, a good bed to crawl into when you're sleepy and you have a good warm meal, I think that's about as good as you can get it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ask for more. Very well, Pitt. Uh, Tom, you, you was kind that, of the was dark that, angel. <laughs> I'm kind of the dark angel. Was that authentic in that on your part? Did you think that money did buy happiness this when you asked that, or for, was that written for you by Mac full, Greer? It's time for the full reveal. <laughs> I was Max Puppet for about eight years. I think I invited Ken Lay to be our you CEO. You think that needed more context? But that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, how can you not love this human being? What a great person she is, and what a great interview it was for me. It was the interview with her and with Bob Geldof. Those were probably my all-time two favorite interviews. And um, who doesn't agree with her point? Once again, Mac, as long as you've got a good bed to crawl into and, a, and, a, and, a, and some food on the plate, and uh, um, it's, not, it's not the compensation you got, Mac. <laughs> Even it's though you may be not feeling the trappings. blue. It's not the toys. They're just beside you, Mac. It's who you are, I like. But those can help with the bed and the food. <laughs> It's true. 87 years old these days, Loretta Lynn. Another person who should join our board. Our board is going to be amazing by the end of this year. Well, there you go. Well, I've got one more potential addition, and she's older than 87. And she she's, she's just an amazing presence. If you don't know about her, um, she came to fame and came to kind of the public attention as, well, a sex therapist. I, I had a sense. This back when that wasn't cool. Where we were going. Back when that wasn't cool. There were no other sex therapists that I can think of in popular media. And so, like, in the spirit of Valentine's can Day. Can I guess the clip? You can guess the clip. You can guess the clip. Dr. Ruth Westheimer. We begin with Dr. Ruth talking, and then one of you asked a David. question. Asked Matt Greer's question. That is not Matt Greer's that question. That was not Matt Greer's that, question? I did not write that question. What percentage of all questions asked on radio shows were Matt Greer? Um, when... when when y'all hosted, I don't know. I would say maybe twenty-five. Ooh, that's, oh, that's very, very close. Probably closer to eighty-one. No, I don't know. I'm in eighty-one. I, I was I frustrated. I I wanted some freedom to ask a question. I know. I I, I apologize. I, 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 you I apologize. This, are you saying this great question was David's creation? I apologize. Really, you do believe that? Had you, Ruth I, I will say this. I would have I would have been okay with you asking more questions had you compensated me more. <laughs> it's also a very instead, fair point. It's a very fair Matt, point. Instead, Mac had you asking. 
doesn't money buy you happiness, yeah, Loretta? You <laughs> and Mr. Lay, would you like to be our CEO? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Maybe, maybe these the, are all good. Maybe the Loretta doesn't Lynch. money buy happiness. <laughs> okay, yes, good. I see. That was more of a doing. device. I, I know, I know you didn't think that. Straight man. Sorry. These are all excellent points. But let's get to the Dr. Ruth clip. If a relationship is a good one, then even if there are some worries about money, that should actually lead to intimacy, to hugging and kissing, and to say to each other, look, I'm here for you. I'm here for you not only when you can buy me diamonds and champagne, Mm -hmm. I'm here for you also when, uh, when there is some trouble. But Dr. Ruth, can you have good sex in a bear market? Yes. Okay. I needed to have the definitive word. Yes. And you, you have to make sure that you are not too tired. You have to make sure that you are not exhausted. Mm-hmm. And you also have to make sure that you help at home. Okay. Do the dishes. Uh, bring flowers. Oh, these all read like condemnations I, for me. Do something that is of interest to your partner. Wow. <laughs> It's hard. I mean, I challenge anyone to not laugh during that. <laughs> I mean, what an amazing woman and just a great American. And I, you're right. I'm really happy to note she's 91 years. It's fair to say here. Sometimes it sounds condescending. Here, I bet it's true. 91 years young today. Yeah. Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Um, wow. Her, her family got her to Switzerland in 1939, got her out of Germany. She's a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But I mean, what a joyful spirit. And I love the definitive. Yes. Yes, right away. Mm. Incredible signature. Spirit. Yeah, Incre- and in, just- in, in a way, that question is like asking if money can buy happiness. <laughs> in a way, it's kind of a yeah uh, synonymous. That doesn't feel like a question I wrote. <laughs> I mean, I'm disappointed that you asked it. I, I, the timing was the timing was so beautiful. I don't know where it came from, but I will say that Dr. Ruth, if you're listening, you also will be a great board director at the Model Pool. <laughs> she would be fantastic. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about that exchange is the bear market. It's mm. been a while. Yeah. But that question at the time made a lot of sense because we're in a bear market. Mm. Now, there are people today who may not even know what a bear market is. Mm. Did we Did we book... Dr. Ruth, almost each Valentine's Day. We did. We, we did. She was a return multiple. And, well, and I, was she on the Larry McCloskey and, Valentine and, special? And another Elvira. Day another day. Elvira, the week of Halloween. Mistress I had a of soft the dark, spot absolutely. for yep, yeah. Dr. Ruth and Elvira. Well, guys, it sounds mm. like there's another blast from the radio pass coming sometime another? later this year, and maybe another one after that, mm. because I, can, I never grow tired of these things. But mm. I hope that each of our listeners this week has treasured this time together. There's a chance at some point we lost somebody, like maybe... My opinions about baseball weren't of that much interest. I, I don't know. I hope you're still listening to us. And if you are, I hope you loved it. And we're definitely going to bring this team back for our next Blast of Radio Pass in a while. But, Tom, why do we do Why do we do this? Well, for me, and it could be kind of corny to trot this out, but our mission at The Motley Fool and our purpose is to help everyone and to make the world a smarter, happier, and richer place for everyone. And so when we go back and revisit the Bezos interview, the Reed Hastings interview, the Meg Whitman interview, and look at the performance of those companies as investments in Motley Fool recommendations and out there in the world for other people. Richer, uh, happier. Uh, can you have can you have great sex in a bear market? Um, and all of the humor that emerges from all these conversations. Check. Smarter, 
I don't know if we got that one, but <laughs> happier and richer, I definitely leave the show. Very well put. I'll just say for my own part, it's a pleasure having Tom back on the show. It's really fun to listen back to all that work we did. Guys, we spent so much time together on the road and around Fool HQ, multiple different Fool HQs. Mac, I want to thank you in particular because once again, just like the previous two episodes, which are all findable, if you want to hear the Bob Geldof interview some great clips, mm. Uh, that's in the last Father one from McBride. July 18th, 2018. Yes, but mm. Mac, you're the one who goes back, listens to it all, and grabs these wonderful clips. Thank you for doing that. Mm. Now, before I ask Mac the significance, though, Rick Engdahl, you've been here all the way through this podcast, but at The Motley Fool, you've been doing this kind of thing for How years. How many years, Rick? Why do we do this? I've been here 20 years, but not in radio 20 years. Mm. I, yeah, I've been in radio for like six, maybe. Mm. Um, so I'm, That's I, 20 years right there. Uh, <laughs> feels like it. Feels like <laughs> I'm more forward-looking, so I'm wondering, like, who are the next guests going to be? Mac, you mm. need to get on the ball here and get some of these guests back in, some of these... Um, some of these Queen Elizabeths. Yeah. I yeah, like yeah, it. Because yeah. I, I bet if you do, you might get a raised... Uh, mm. uh, nice. Or at least a compliment. From nice. Yeah, what is, the, what is the most valuable non-financial thing for you, Mac? <laughs> Most valuable, non-financial. Uh, love? Love, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you're able to book... Thanks for helping If you're able to book Queen Elizabeth, if you're able to book Queen Elizabeth, I will purchase for you and your family three puppies nice. that you can take care of How for the rest a, of your life. How about a Disney life. cruise? That's instead. love. I thought you were just going to... And gonna, a Disney cruise. And a Disney cruise. I thought you were just going to lightly muss his hair, because that's all Mac really needs. That's true. That's true. My gray hair. My silvery gray <laughs> hair. Mac, why did we... Why did we do this this week? Well, you know, for me, I, I I love I love investing, and for me, the most interesting part of investing is the people, and it's the stories behind it. You know, I'm not a wizard when it comes to the financials, but what I do love and what I'm passionate about is the stories, and and you just hear these incredible stories, not just with the CEOs, but with the Dr. Ruths, with the celebrities. Everyone brings something different to the equation. And I think part of The Motley Fool is that relentless search for better solutions and this idea that every single day we can indulge our curiosity and we can become better. All right. Well, thanks again to Mac and to Tom. And boy, I hope you had at least half as much fun as we did, because if you did, you had a lot of fun. All right. Well, coming up next week, it is not going to be Great Quotes Volume 11. You're going to hear in a sec what we will be doing. I want to mention I'm kicking that to early March. Now, we've already gotten a lot of great submissions, but our email address is rbi at fool.com. You can always tweet us at RBI Podcast. If you have a great quotation that you'd like to share with me that means something to you and you feel speaks to the purpose of the show, which is my brother Tom said earlier, we're here to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. So if you have something that you think would fit, it's our all-listener edition for Great Quotes Volume 11 coming up in early March. But coming up next week, two years ago, I picked five stocks the world needs right now. Did it? Has it? And one year ago, I picked five more stocks to feed the next bear. Well, the bear hasn't shown up since. So how have these stocks done? So, yes, next week we will review these two five-stock samplers with full-performance numbers. Review-a-palooza next week. Pull on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.